Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This book by Dr. Damien Dauphiné discusses specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic patients. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, and we are The Pod Doctors. Each week, The Pod Doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week discussing all the crazy ways that our wonderful foot can malfunction and cause us problems. So please find us on all the platforms where you find your typical podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and YouTube where you can view our videos. So please like and subscribe, and we will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Welcome to the Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damian Dauphiné, and I'm here with my partner, Dr. Rafi Hussein. Well, and today we're going to dive a little deeper into a particular technique that we use for recalcitrant or difficult to treat plantar fasciitis, uh, also probably better termed plantar fasciosis at this point. Yeah. Subtle difference there where the, where the ligament is becoming thickened and degenerative and not responding to the typical treatments that we usually use. So, you know, only about 2% of folks in my in, in my estimation need surgery for this. And when you fall into that category, this, this is one of the techniques we can use. Yeah, I did a, a numbers uh, analysis, um, I don't know, a couple of years back, and it was one in 28 of my patients end up going for surgery for plantar fasciitis. It was uh, very, very low. Most of the time, conservatively, we're able to take care of plantar fasciitis. And when Dr. D is talking about plantar fasciosis, it's from when it goes itis, meaning acute inflammation, to osis, when it becomes a chronic problem. And that's when it's more, more difficult to treat. It's almost like a wound inside the foot that the body's no longer addressing. Yeah. It's become chronic. It's not progressing. Uh, the inflammatory component is much less obvious. There are some studies where they were able to take chunks of the plantar fascia out in people who had recalcitrant plantar fasciitis probably fasciosis, and they sent them off. And there was very little inflammatory component, and it was much more degenerative and scarred tissue yeah. than, than an itis. So. so when we're talking about plantar fasciitis, we, we talked about this before. First step, heel pain in the morning, typical. The plantar fascia makes up the band that goes from the heel to the toes, and every time you step down, that band gets stretched out. And with wear and tear, you get little micro tears and inflammation and and it becomes painful, and sometimes you can get spurring. But the spur isn't the problem. The inflammation is actually more the problem, the micro tears that you're getting the plantar fascia. So we can treat it conservatively. We talked about stretching, good shoes, good insoles, uh, night splint, uh, rocker bottoms, um, steroid shots. Custom orthotics. Orthotics, yeah, yeah. Uh, physical therapy, laser therapy, stem cell injections. There's a lot, but um, once all that fails, 
This is uh, one of the surgical procedures that can be done for plantar fasciitis or even better for plantar fasciosis. So typically it's the central and medial band that flares up. The plantar fascia, like we talked about, makes up the band that goes from the heel to the toes. You know, it's it's like a, there's a term called the windlass mechanism. Yeah. It's like a suspension bridge. And yeah. so every time you put your foot down, it's absorbing shock. Uh, if it gets overused, that's when you start to see the spur formation, you start to see chronic inflammation, and then if it goes on for months and months and years and years, that's when you start to see the thickness, which we can identify with ultrasound. Yeah, so plantar fascia under ultrasound should be about two millimeters thick, normal plantar fascia. When it becomes inflamed, when it's more than four millimeters thick, you can literally measure it using your ultrasound. So whenever I'll do like my ultrasound guided injections, I'll take a picture and I'll show the patient, like, look, this is the measured amount on your plantar fascia, and this is how thick it is. And ideally, we want that to be uh, smaller. I had patients that have it almost like eight millimeters it, thick. Yeah, and those folks, uh, Steve Barrett, our colleague in Atlanta, has written about this. You know, he was the first guy to develop the EPF, the endoscopic plantar fasciotomy procedure. That's the one I like to do. And he, you know, he basically said, look, if you if you can ultrasound these folks and see that their plantar fascia is you know, seven, eight, nine millimeters thick, they're not likely to respond to conservative measures and you should really start talking surgery with them because you're, you're going to be wasting a bunch of time. And, and I don't disagree with that because yeah. I see when you see those chronic patients who've had it for 10, 12 years, they're not responding to anything under the sun. Yeah. They, you probably should, you know, jump the gun a little bit and talk surgery for them, for them because I think they're going to benefit more. That'd be an interesting study to see what the measured difference for patients who recover from um, conservative therapy versus patients who end up having surgery, see if there's a measurable difference. Yeah, I, I, I want to say he's written about this. Yeah, I'll so have to look may, into it. Yeah, I don't know that it was in one of the journals. It may have just been in podiatry today. But yeah. So uh, brief anatomy. Sometimes when patients go under uh, the knife, there's the risk of nerve injury, and the most common injured nerve is either the Baxter's nerve, which is, I don't know why this is labeled the tibial nerve. It's the Baxter's nerve or the first branch off the lateral calcaneal nerve, um, which lies just under the plantar fascia, or the lateral branch, oops, the lateral branch of the uh, posterior tibial nerve, um, depending on portal placement. So, you know, um, the endoscopic plantar fasciotomy, with the preferred technique for me, has that risk that you can catch that nerve. And one of the benefits of doing the topaz procedure is a much, much lower risk of catching any of these nerves. Well, and we're not releasing the, the fascia. And that too. So, yeah. yeah, one of the downsides to the fasciotomy is that you can cause cuboid syndrome yeah. where they get chronic pain on that lateral column uh, that's very difficult to treat, even with orthotics. And you can avoid that completely by, by not releasing the plantar fascia. Yeah. So incision placement, um, some people would like to do this percutaneously. Um, I know you like to do it open, so I, you can. I like to do it open, so I can put a, a piece of cryopreserved umbilical cord in there. Yeah, yeah. So incision placement is just anterior to the heel weight-bearing surface, that little fat pad that we have in the heel. So obviously your incision placement doesn't uh, bother the patient afterwards. And the fat is, you know, maybe a couple millimeters thick, and then right behind it is the plantar fascia. There's not much dissection that you have to do. That's that. a little distal than where I put it. So I have your video right here. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's where I placed that incision. And that and the nice thing about that transverse incision is you're really hiding it in the resting skin tension lines. Mm -hmm. That incision heals up beautifully. Yeah. Uh, you can barely even find it in three, four months. 
So we put in a wheat lanner, which is that retractor. My big head is in the way. I apologize. Uh, and that shiny substance right underneath the there, that's the plantar yeah. fascia. I mean, it's its not a, a big dissection. Look at no, that. Pretty simple. And, you know, again, I think the advantage of doing it open is, is that you'll see. Is, do we put the crop reserve umbilical in, in this case? Yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. So you, the goal of the, the wand that we use, it's a radio frequency wand. And it's allowing us to create a matrix of holes in the plantar fascia to injure the tissue in a controlled fashion. Yeah. And we're doing it at different depths uh, in this matrix form. More is not necessarily better. You don't need 100 holes in the plantar fascia. You need like 10, 12. That's about all you really need. Yeah. And it's, it's superheating the tissue. It's injuring it, but in a controlled way to stimulate some sort of healing cascade and then we're going to put the umbilical cord material, crowd-preserved umbilical cord material, which has heavy chain hyaluronic acid molecule and then has anti-inflammatory and anti-scarring characteristics. Yeah. So this picture here on the left, um, it shows the percutaneous weight. A lot right. of people draw a little box mm -hmm. overlying the area of most um, pain, and they'll do these little fenestrations. Uh, typically, they'll poke it with either like an 18-gauge wire or a K-wire, and then they'll go in with the... Uh, uh, topaz wand. I can see doing that if you were going to then follow that up with with an amnio injection. Yeah. Oh yeah. A lot of a lot of the uh, yeah. uh, papers talk about doing but, that. But the amnio injections are dehydrated and they do not have the heavy chain hyaluronic acid molecule, which is we believe is responsible for fetal tissue healing. So I think you're missing an opportunity in my estimation. So this is yeah the actual wand. You're hitting a little uh, foot pedal and and then varying your your depth of application. So maybe a couple more and then I'm done. So you do like a little grid over right. the, overlying the area of most mm -hmm. um, problems. Correct. Pain. And you can even tuck back, you know, and come a little further back. Yeah. You know, tent the skin. Yeah. It, and it, you don't have to change your incision line. So, so that, that's pretty much the topaz. It's running saline through it mm -hmm. with like three drips per second, two drips per second. Oh, but that's a really cool. Oh, that's showing the closure. This is yeah. This is this. Is, you, you, I mean, oh, the procedure. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. Gotcha. Procedure is pretty much done after yeah. you do the graft application. So I don't know. So this is showing jump my ahead. big head again in the way. <laughs> we didn't have a good. Our cinematographer oh, was on. sleeping. So, so the okay, graft so is in there. Yeah. I, I tried to catch it, but uh. It so was, the uh, graft is crop-preserved umbilical cord. It's about two to three millimeters thick. Because it's crop-preserved, it retains that heavy-chain hyaluronic acid molecule. It's extraordinarily anti-inflammatory, anti-scarring, and it's providing materials that that tissue really needs to move forward through the wound healing process. So it's really the perfect stuff that you can put into a wound bed that you're trying to get tissue to do something. So we're irritating it, we're injuring that tissue in a controlled fashion, and then we're giving it what it needs to hopefully uh, turn around and, and heal. And, uh, you know, for the relatively small percentage of patients that fail our conservative regimen, this works extremely well. So when we select out just those patients who have failed all the other stuff, our outcomes are extremely good. Yeah. Up 90 plus resolution. And I think that umbilical cord material also helps that scar heal just absolutely beautifully. Oh yeah, the anti-inflammatory and anti-scarring component doesn't just help the fascia; it's also helping the the overlying dermis and epidermis that you're trying to repair. Yeah, 
You do like what one or two stitches down to the like bottom. A, yeah, do like a horizontal mattress and then a couple of simples on either side. Boom, you're done. Put them in a dressing, little zero form, four by fours, curl X. Yeah, that's going to heal beautifully. I usually keep them off of it for about three days just to give the skin a head start. And then they can weight bear on it. Nice. Whether it's in a shoe or a boot, doesn't really matter either way. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. It's it's very straightforward procedure, minimally invasive. I don't know. It's literally, what, a centimeter, roughly? Two, well, two, two centimeters. Two and a half. Two, yeah. two and a half. Um, and then I think the, the advantage is you're not releasing the plantar fascia. So you're mm-hmm. not eliminating that structure from, you know, continuing to do a, a job for the foot. Yeah. You're avoiding the chances of developing a completely different problem, a sequela uh, known as cuboid syndrome. Yeah. And it... This incision line heals up beautifully, very low distance rates, very low infection rates. So it's got very little downside when you find yourself in the position where you failed everything. Now, I know a lot of patients like to ask, what do you do about the spur? The spur bothers me, blah, blah, blah. The spur is just a cool thing you can see on an x-ray. Yeah. Does it need to go... No. And we've known this for 30 plus years. I mean, how many times do we get x-rays on other things? Bunions, yeah. ankle fractures. You'll, you'll see a massive spur yeah. and they're like, nope, never had heel pain. Yeah. So we know that it's not a, a direct correlation there. In fact, there is Steve Barrett, again, I, I believe, has thrown out the, the theory that the spur is actually your body's attempt at creating a fulcrum at yeah. that site to diminish the pull of the plantar fascia on the site that's painful. It's given it slack. Right. And there, there may be something to that. So I think a lot of folks have mild to moderate spurs and don't have heel pain, which is, you know, fortunate for them. <laughs> Thankfully, they don't cost a million dollars. Dr. Evil. But I, I think it's a it's a remarkable procedure when you add the umbilical cord. I think we've had even better success. Yeah. So that's the new little twist that we've been able to add. You know, I think biologics are becoming a bigger part of a lot of the procedures that we do. And we're yeah. trying to use them, I think, uh, judiciously. We don't want to overutilize these things because they are they do have a cost to them. Yeah. But I think at that size, that small size, uh, the one and a half by one or two by two, is a few hundred dollars, and if it makes that procedure that much more effective, then it's completely worth it. Yeah, um, it's it, like you're going under the knife. You're going to the extreme level of care. Why not give it every opportunity to make it better? Right, I totally agree. Well, that was fantastic. Uh, a little discussion of chronic plantar fasciitis or fasciosis, and one of the techniques that we use to turn it around uh, using the topaz and. Um, the crop-preserved umbilical cord. So thanks, Dr. Hussain. That was a great little Well, that was your procedure, so thank you. You bet. My pleasure. All right, we will see you guys next time on The Pod Doctors. Thank you for listening to The Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, be safe. See you all next time. Bye-bye.